0: Welcome to Catholic Radio for Katie Anna's presentation of Cajun Catholics. Here's your host, Todd Citron.
1: In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.
0: Dear Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for gathering us here for this program. We ask, Lord, that your blessing be upon us. We ask, Lord, that just to bless this conversation, and may it be edifying for the people of God who hear and listen to this broadcast. We ask all of this under the intercession and patronage of Our Lady, Notre Dame de Prompt Secours, and your most sacred heart. Amen. In the name Amen. of the Father, the, the Son, the and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You're
1: listening to Cajun Catholics. I'm your host, Todd Citron. power Pack show today, <laughs> Father Casey Dugai. he is the Associate Pastor at Sacred Heart in Broussard. Welcome, Father.
0: Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Um, my friends have always warned me that I have apparently the radio voice, so this is very dangerous I'm <laughs> loving
1: your buttery voice. It sounds wonderful. Uh, today's co-host is a very close person to my heart, my, my sweet uh, second daughter, Jessica Bajeron. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Hey, Dad. <laughs> All right. Okay, let's start. Uh, Father, tell us a little bit about yourself.
0: Well, I'm uh, thoroughly from the Lafayette area. I grew up in New Iberia. At least I claim New Iberia as my home. Daddy was from Lorville, mama's from Rinella. For people that don't know where Rhinella's at, you probably know where the ballpark is for mm-hmm. it off the Avery Island Road. So growing up, I kind of grew up in the country. Um, went to school in New Iberia, graduated from Catholic High in 2013, and I'm what they call a lifer for seminary, for seminarians. I entered right out of high school, did four years at St. Ben's in Covington, Louisiana. For others who know that, as St. Joseph Seminary College or just St. Ben's. Um, I then proceeded after receiving my uh, undergrad degree, went to Notre Dame Seminary in New Orleans and completed that back in May and uh, was ordained less than three weeks ago. So I'm very new and very fresh. The oils are still uh, fresh Mm -hmm. on the hands. So it's (laughs) it's wonderful to be here. All right. Jess, jump right in.
1: All right.
2: My question to you is, what was your biggest challenge at the seminary?
0: Hmm. One was learning to be authentically myself. So when guys enter formation, you kind of have these perceptions in your head of what formations like. You usually think of hooded monks floating around, <laughs> just humming and praying a Gregorian chant constantly. But... When I got there, I realized that it was just that, that, that fear that sits in your heart because you're going to a new place. This is a radically different thing. Daddy was grooming me to be a chemical engineer. I was <laughs> planning on going to Texas A&M University and getting my petroleum slash chemical degree there, you know, maybe join the Corps of Cadets. You know, I was planning on living a very secular life originally, but then God entered, and he called me to this radically different lifestyle, that of going into seminary priestly formation And I was like, I have no idea what this is going to be like. I talked to some priests, didn't really help as much because they're like, it's probably radically different than when I was there, how right they were. But when I got there, it was just regular guys. And in that, I was able to realize, okay, I can authentically be myself, who I am, who God created me to be, and just learn how, really learn who I am for the first time. Because it's the first time that I'm away from home, I'm away from family, and start asking the question, who am I? Who am I in relation to Christ? You know, and who has Christ made me to be? And formation just really brings that out of you and brings it to the forefront. In fact, I was just at Quavati's at the community of Jesus Crucified yesterday on a panel talking about vocations. And I was like, look, it's it's like being the diamond in the rough and formation just chips that away until that diamond that God made is present. So just that challenge of Wondering what formation was going to be like entering into this brave new world um, The other thing was uh, my family Was a little bit of a challenge my dad as I said was kind of grooming me to be an engineer He wanted me to have that 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 Cajun very much perfect life, you know go get that six-figure job <laughs> Be home every weekend, you know have the wife the kids the grandkids eventually and all of that but And my dad's a very pragmatic man. He's been in his industry working on compressors for 31 years um, and it was so funny, because like, when I was discerning, I'm like, okay, I wanna start filling this paperwork out. My mom's like, you're not touching nothing until you <laughs> ask your dad's blessing. And it was so funny, because I had to wait three weeks, so that was just agonizing to sit there for three weeks, and we're at the dinner table, I'm like, hey, dad, about the internship, because he was working to get me an internship at a chemical plant and all that, you know, kind of setting me up, and he goes, you found a better one. I'm like, well, you can say that. <laughs> the benefits are out of this world. <laughs> So um, he's like, I don't know why you wanna do this. I don't know why you don't wanna have kids. I don't know why you don't wanna have a good job, a wife, all these good things, you know, that we've been preparing you for. But if it makes you happy, go. And now my dad is my biggest supporter. In fact, he brags so much that his son is a priest now, especially in his industry in the oil field, the natural gas industry, you know, it's not always the most Christian environment, but he always brags, hey, my son's a priest. So it, it just, every one of those obstacles Became came a way for the Lord to really enrich my life and enrich my vocation.
1: You mentioned that um, you got the call early and often. And tell us more about uh, how and when that call happened.
0: So for me, um, it kind of started during the confirmation process. I'm actually a revert. So I left the church for a short time, went, went, and, went in some Protestant circles for a while, and I realized something was lacking. I had a, I had a prayer life. I had a life in the scriptures. But I didn't know it was lacking. It wasn't until I realized it was the sacramental life, receiving our Lord in the Eucharist, receiving sacramental absolution, receiving those graces that come by being in the church. And so during the confirmation process, when I came back and I can thank Monsignor Dickie Green for allowing me to hop into a confirmation class late, even though I didn't have CCD the two years before, but he's like, you'll pick it up along the way, how right he was. I think he saw an inkling of a vocation. And he didn't want to kill it. Hmm. So once I entered confirmation, the teacher started saying, "Have you thought about the priesthood? Have you thought about the priesthood?" Every little moment was going, "Have you thought about the priesthood?" <laughs> to me, and I'm like, "No, no, I batted off the Marine Corps recruiters. I'm doing fine." <laughs> and then it was um, at Abbey Youth Fest, in fact, at St. Ben's, uh, they had the vocation call going on, and I just felt this heaviness, like I had like these heavy spinning chains on my chest, just really weighing me down. And I'm like, I'm, I'm fighting and arguing, I'm wrestling with the Lord in prayer. I'm like, Lord. I want to serve you he's like i want you mm-hmm. i'm like you got me lord he's like no no i don't have all of you mm-hmm. i want all of you and it was i said fine lord i'll go and be your priest and when i said that it was like the chains just fell from me and oh, i felt wow. peace and crystal clarity of vision in my own life and then i turned to my pastor father greg corn and i go father father i think i'm called to be a priest he goes that's nice come back to me in six months he was like pretty much tell me let the fervor die down see if this is a legitimate thing and not mm-hmm. just emotionalism but mm-hmm. if this is a legitimate urging of the spirit you know we're supposed to test the spirit to see if this is what God is calling us to I came back in four and when I did that it was like my face was set like Flint as it says in scripture and I was on the long-haul track for a formation
2: wow. well on that topic of discernment um, mm-hmm. I'm a mom of two boys and I think I've been praying for the vocations since before they were born um, just that they would answer that call whatever that may be what advice on top of prayer do you have for young parents to encourage all vocations to their kids
0: let them experience the vocations of others you know like they're going to see your vocation as a mother as a wife mm-hmm. you know they're going to see that vocation to marriage in the lay state and you know you're you're the first educators in the home you're the primary educators of the faith so like allowing them to see your marriage mm-hmm. be good be healthy be holy but also allowing them to see the marriage of others allowing them to see their grandparents marriage allowing them to see their uncles and aunts you know their cousins um the extended family in the church so they can see this is the normal way that life is supposed to be the sacramental life especially without a marriage in regards to that of holy orders and religious life exposing them allowing them to encounter your local priests you know there's a lot of hesitancy, especially of recent years, about, you know, how do we encounter the priest and, you know, distancing and all that. But just allowing them to, like, see that, you know, the priest is part of the family. The priest is woven into our culture. You know, I'm very big on preservation of the Cajun culture in every way Here's I can. my man. Every okay. way I can. You know, La Pache, hold on tight. And you know, for me, to be authentically Cajun is to be authentically Catholic. And I can remember growing up hearing stories about how how Father Wilson J. Mott would go to my grandmother's house, my great-grandmother's house, every Sunday for lunch. You know, the priest was there. So if you want your kids to be open, invite the priest into the home. You know, invite him to come do a house blessing. You know, these, these just good things that allow them to have a very positive experience of those in the clerical and religious state.
2: So you'll be over for dinner tonight.
1: <laughs> if You're cooking. I'll be over for dinner.
0: <laughs> <today>. <laughs> Look, I can manger and throw down. I'm good. <laughs> uh,
1: so, Father, who who, ins- who has inspired you? You mentioned uh, a priest, but uh, in your family, and you, I know you got some great Cajun Catholics in your family. But who has inspired you?
0: Definitely my grandparents. My grandfather uh, Ronald Dartez and my grandmother Mary Dartez. That's my maternal grandparents. Um, just seeing them living out the faith in a way that is life-giving. My grandfather's a Knights of Columbus. In fact, when I turned 18 years old, he put a hand on my shoulder and was like, you're becoming a knight. <laughs> uh, it's this it's this Wednesday uh, for the enrollment in the Knights of Columbus. And I'm like, okay, yeah, Paul, I'll go do that. And it's it just been, it's, you know, just seeing that in my grandmother, you know, seeing her with praying, she uh, was part of the charismatic renewal back in the 70s and 80s. She was part of them good old prayer groups that was existed for a while. And that I think, produced a lot of vocations a lot of the vocations I think and of recent years in our diocese can be traced back to a lot of grandparents and parents and great grandparents praying for vocations native vocations from those prayer groups sure
2: so I'm taking a a class this summer on um, renewal reform and the lay faithful Mm -hmm. at the Augustine Institute and we're learning about how the lay can uh, reform the church Mm -hmm. and how just how the church reacted to the pandemic, how Mm -hmm. a lot of priests were considered non-essential services Mm -hmm. and things like that. What advice do you have for the laity to just help uh, the reformation of the church?
0: One is authentically live out your vocation. You are called to go out and consecrate the world. There's a great book by Fagerberg called uh, Consecrating the World. Uh, I recommend picking it up um, for those who may be a little more theologically astute and they're in this, particularly like you as a student. And he talks about how the vocation of the laity is to receive from the patrimony of the church, to receive the sacraments, to receive the graces, for us as clergy to be shepherds, to empower them, to then go out into those places where they, their workplaces, their families, their homes, everywhere they encounter people, and be that light of Christ, to bring Christ. In fact, Lumen Gentium 31 talks about how the unique... Aspect of the vocation lady is that they are in the world, but they are not of it And again, they, they bring Christ in those places that I cannot go for those times during the pandemic pandemic when as a cleric I was not considered essential mm-hmm. and I wasn't allowed in the hospital and not to bring communion to the sick and the dying Which is one of the last we call the last right because that is a right for them to receive the sacraments before they die to have a good holy death, you know there was nurses that were going in there and praying with people. You know, they were bringing Christ when the services and those in authorities that be would not allow us to go in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, y'all were picking up the slack when they wouldn't allow us to. Mm-hmm. So that's y'all role is to really be that light of Christ in the unique way you can as a layperson.
1: You want to remind our listeners, you're listening to the Cajun Catholics. Today's guest is Father Casey Dugay. He is the associate pastor in Broussard at Sacred Heart. And uh, he's been plagued with being the associate pastor with Father <laughs> Mike Delcombe. God bless him for that. It's uh, going to be a tough job, I know. Uh, we love Father Mike. He was a recent guest on the show with Father Mark Toops. And uh, and uh, Father Casey, you're from New Iberia, and you uh, just really, uh, I-, I can tell, have a love for the Lord, but also I feel like you have a little bit of an academic side to you. Uh, seems like you enjoy probably reading a lot, uh, but... I would say this. So I'm reading Anne Catherine Anne Catherine Emmerich, uh, um, a, a book that someone put on my heart. I don't know how, and it's I, after reading two chapters of how devout this this little girl was, how she wanted to feel the large passion through the crucifixion and through the crowning of thorns. It, it, it has humbled me beyond words. Uh, I feel so. I'm embarrassed of the life I lead after reading this, but. Give us, for those who aren't academics, something maybe you're into right now that that, you, that has touched you.
0: Well, right now I'm actually reading uh, Trent Horn's Why Be Catholic. Um, you know, it's always good to go back and refresh on those basics. And, you know, it, it's kind of helpful for me because coming from a heavily academic setting, seminary formation is heavily mm-hmm. academic. In fact, I still put footnotes sometimes in my homilies out of habit. <laughs> so just being able to go back to the basics and being able to Give the faith in a way that is palatable, that is able to be gnawed on by the faithful. You know, for me, that's why like I love Trent Horn, some of his work, because it takes the faith and boils it down. I'm a big proponent of, I love the Baltimore Catechism, because it's a very easy way of, like, quick question and answer. Mm-hmm. But it's not just a quick question and answer. It's an answer that I can gnaw on for a while. You can break that apart. Um, so that's kind of where I'm also reading you know, just, I just, I love good catechetics. So yeah. like any type of way that I can, I have a heart and passion for teaching, you know? And in fact, my mom said, if I wouldn't have gone to the priesthood, I probably would have ended up at some point being a teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, even though I was looking at the oil field and all that kind of stuff, she's like, you would have ended up like teaching somehow, some way. So for me, it's like any type of resource that really helps me to bring down these lofty theological ideas and break it down so that your mama and papa can understand it. Right.
1: Right. Because you know it is. I, I've had guests on the show that are academics, and and it's 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 heavy, thick reading, and mm-hmm. but this it's so much. And as as Cajun Catholics, we desire more, but at the same time, I think we're sort of simple-minded. That's not an insult. I'm, <laughs> I'm the most simple-minded person I know, uh, but we need it to be broken down a little bit, you know, uh, so so we can gnaw on it. Go ahead, Jess. Uh, I've got so many questions
2: (laughs) You said you like to teach Um, I'm just wondering, what are you most looking forward to as a priest? I know you're recently ordained so what are you looking forward to?
0: Well, one is uh, we have St. Cecilia's School um, Mm -hmm. in the parish. I'm looking forward to being part of the catechetics and the faith formation of the students there. Um, Father Delcom's already kind of tuning me in to some of the um, teaching um, series we're going to be doing so like the fact of, that I can take all this rich resources, That's because the thing with seminary is, seminary doesn't teach you everything. What seminary teaches you is where to go to find the answers. That, mm-hmm. that that That's what a good academic education should teach you. Not that you know everything, but that you know where to go to find it. That you can point people to the truth, to those who have put the time and effort in. So for me, just being able to to be present to the people, and. I've been working towards this goal of being a priest for eight years, almost almost a decade. So for me to finally be able to rest in the call, that, you know, because like when you're in formation, we, we always joke that it's not official till the hands are laid on you, mm-hmm. you know, until the bishop lays his hands on you to ordain you. And it was just so powerful to be able to, to rest in that call and now I'm able to actualize all those. And in fact, I was telling the guys last night, I said, you know, I had these perceptions of what the priesthood was going to be like.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the Lord took that. He says, here, let me take that from you. He tossed it. He said, let me give you something better. Mm. And that has been the reality of being a priest. It's better than I could have ever imagined. Now, there's going to be some, I'm, I'm kind of in the honeymoon stage. I'm going to be <laughs> honest. You know, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm rocking that high right now of like just being freshly ordained. There's going to be lows. Um yeah. In fact, as a deacon, I experienced many lows. I've had to bury a grandfather and a stepbrother in the last three months. Mm. Wow. So, you know, kind of, in fact, I had to, I uh, graduated one night, and I'm over my stepbrother's um, body praying over it mm. the next day. So, like, you know, that, but that's the reality of priesthood. You go from the highest highs in people's lives to the lowest lows on, like, almost the next beat drop. So, you know, it's, it just a, it's a beautiful life. It's a joyful life. It's a life that does weigh but the Lord carries the yoke with us. He never gives us a yoke that's too heavy for us to carry.
1: I went to Mass over the weekend, and the uh, gospel was about the, the woman who touched Jesus' cloak and was healed. And And the priest um, uh, at my church had, 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 in his homily, incorporated that the Eucharist, when we go to the Eucharist, we can bring all of our wants and needs and what we desire to be healed. Mm-hmm. And, and we're touching Jesus at that moment that we receive the Eucharist, and touched me the way that he related that to that. Um, You mentioned you had gone through some Protestant times. Um, How do we explain to others that Jesus is truly present in the Eucharist? How do you know?
0: (laughs) It's, so it's interesting because like we can have that head knowledge, you know, of the real presence. We can have, you know, we can like, oh, we can quote John 6. You know, we can go in Scripture. But for me, it's like if someone is having doubt, I would tell them go sit in eucharistic adoration for an hour in silence and tell me you don't feel something tell me you don't feel the presence of the lord there in some way that he's not urging or moving at your heart so for me it's like you have to encounter but also it's 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 hard because like as a like as one who was like who left for a little while and came back it was like that put me on so on fire to be away from him to come back and it's Mm -hmm. like okay i'm it's like grabbing a live wire. You know, your hand just locks down tight and you can't let go. And that was like for me with the real presence. And it was like the first mass I went back to and I'm like, okay, Lord, let me know you're here. Show me you're truly present. You know, preparing yourself to go to mass, you know, preparing yourself to encounter him in the Eucharist. That's what I would tell people is wow. if you're having trouble with Eucharistic belief in the real presence, bring it to him. And he will show you in ways that you will not even realize in fact um there's been a bunch of times as a newly ordained priest that when i'm elevating the host i'm just brought to tears mm. you know in fact i was in ville Platte last week i went to a series of masses to kind of celebrate thanksgiving to them and thanksgiving to god for my priesthood i was up there for my diaconal internship for six months and it was like it was just being there with that people that helped foster my vocation in a way for a short time but then bringing christ to them it, 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 it gave me the free songs, and it just really um, it brought tears to my eyes, like powerful tears.
1: Jess spent some time in San Antonio. Do you know what the free songs are? <laughs> That's a shame. Your daddy's host hosting Cajun Catholics, and she doesn't know what free the free songs are, the chills. <laughs> oh, chill, I, knew chill, chill bumps. I knew that. I knew that. The goosebumps. <laughs> Jump in, Jess.
2: So... I hear about these pranks at the seminary.
0: (laughs) I'm hearing that too.
2: (laughs) Give us some of your good ones.
0: So one of the ways that guys would mess with guys is so we'd sometimes have what's called open or free weekend where guys could go home. Now, normally guys lock their doors. Now, if two guys were were, were, um, brave enough or foolish enough to leave their doors unlocked and their rooms were right next to each other, sometimes we'd take everything out of their rooms. (laughs) and switch but we put it back in place <laughs> uh, but at a different door so they go into their room and it'd be a different room and it just messed with them it was that's pretty funny, funny. um <laughs> there's been a few guys that are kind of acrobatic that can climb up so if you've ever been to saint ben's south Pius is up on pylons and you got these metal girders there's a few guys that are talented athletically that can climb up those and there's been and a I few am. times where um you're at your desk really focused and all of a sudden someone's knocking on your window and it frightens the heck out of you because <laughs> we're, we're, we're a story off the ground. Nobody's supposed to be there.
1: <laughs> so do they, let, <clears throat> do they let the seminarians help help with the uh, construction of the coffins? Are they still doing that out there? they
0: still doing it. They yeah. don't let us there as much. There's plenty yeah. of volunteers from the local area that go with the monks. Um, so also... Um, Of course, I I was about to say letting seminarians have power tools is a dangerous thing, but I was in charge of building the bonfire for three years at St. Ben's. So if anyone doesn't know, at St. Ben's, we have what's called the yearly bonfire game where the guys from St. Ben's play against the guys at Notre Dame in a flag football game. Uh It's a big deal. You know, we get 300 guys together all, you know, doing football. And then at night, we light a 20 by 20 foot by 20 foot high bonfire. So 20 foot by 20 foot base, 20 feet high massive pine wood bonfire i was in charge of building it so i'd take trees down and all that running chainsaws and axes and all that um i understood the weight of being the safety man and how frustrated some of us and y- y'all in that industry can be with some of us with our tattoo heads <laughs> so um yeah it was interesting because it was like when you're not in charge it's like oh yeah i'll go climb up this or do that or i'll do this dangerous thing And it's like when you're when you're in leadership it's like Oh, God, help me. Please don't let anybody die on me. <laughs> so
1: on your um, YouTube video that I saw, uh, it, 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 it intrigued me about St. Benedict. You had spoken about him and the monastic life. And uh, I've read Soul of the Apostolate, which mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, all about that. And and But one thing that's been a common theme and, and that our listeners like to hear about is how you incorporate work uh, in your prayer life. And I enjoyed your, your comments about that. Talk about
0: that. So, yeah, you know... Um, I was heavily influenced by the Benedictine tradition because St. Ben's, St. Joseph Seminary College, is run by Benedictine monks. It's a Benedictine abbey. So a lot of us kind of, they actually, I think they used to give out, I don't know if they still do, they give out a copy of the Rule of St. Benedict. And he talks about how prayer is the, so the church understands that prayer, liturgy, liturgy literally means the work done. So that's from the Greek, it means the work being done. So liturgy is quite literally the work of the church. So as a cleric, as one who participates in it, or as a lady that participates, that's one way we work. But that liturgy is also prayerful. So it's work and prayer together. Mm -hmm. But also, as monks, they would provide for themselves. And so, you know, they they would day labor, you know, in the fields, um, in the the early days of Benedictine monasticism, uh, or the winery, or the vineyard, wherever they would work. And so those were long hours, so the question is, how do I continue, pr- how do I pray without ceasing as, you know, as we're called to in scripture? Well, our work becomes prayer because we, if we offer it to God, if we offer that work, whatever are the work of our hands, whatever it is, we, I think it was a uh, mother Teresa that would talk about, you can encounter Jesus in washing the pots and pans. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah, that reminds me of Curcio, you know, um, a big part of Curcio is, is working in the kitchen back there. And, mm-hmm. uh, It's very edifying, you know, and there's a lot of uh, prayer on your knees uh, and and behind the scenes. And that's the secret to the success of Cursia. That was when I had my conversion many years ago. And, you know, there's so many people that are, are behind the scenes praying for others, and it's powerful. You know, I, you know, you're not talking like Father Mike just yet, but I'm. I, I know it's going to come. But you know, he likes to say Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, he's <laughs> he's got that. And then I end up talking like him too. You know, but it, yeah, I know the Bishop um, doesn't tell us really use some Holy Spirit intervention to put you two together because I know y'all going to make a great team. Uh, you seem like you guys are kindred spirits, and, and you told me you like to fish and hunt. Oh yes, yeah, so fit well.
0: I'm I'm a good old South Louisiana boy. <laughs> you, you know, I, I love the fish and hunt.
1: Yeah. what? Is, go ahead, Jess. I
2: have one last question okay. for you. Um, I want to know what your ordination day was like for you, because I'm sure that you, you know, it was a long time coming. And for me, my wedding day, it was beautiful, but I think my love for my husband, like, grew deeper and deeper every single day, and I love him more today than I did on the wedding day. And same with my kids. Like, the day of their birth was great, but I love them more today than I did then because of the, the deeper growth. So what was your your big day like
0: so for me um it was kind of a blur Mm -hmm. to be honest Um, i hear that brides get that feeling too but i've talked to other priests it's like they're like you you're just going to be moved from place to place within the liturgy so they're like you don't have to really do much so just enjoy it while you're there and daddies and brides get the same thing, by the way. It's a, it's a blur.
2: He blacked out before we walked down the
0: aisle. <laughs> so, yeah, it was kind of a blur, but it was also like it wasn't until I, like, after my first mass, after everything was done, I could just sit down in silence in prayer. Because that's what, another thing is you need some time of silence to truly have a good prayer life. So when I sat down in silence to kind of recollect what just happened— mm-hmm. That was when all that pent up emotion of the things I experienced just started flowing and the graces and kind of like, as you said, you know, each day has been better. Each day has been so filled with graces, so filled with just new encounters with the Lord that it's, I can't imagine when it's going to be like 10, 15, 20 years down the road, how my life's going to be, but it's like, I know he's with me. And it was, and so to give you an example, one of the most powerful moments I remember from the ordination was right after the bishop lays hands on you. You go and you kneel, and then the entire presbyterate, all the priests that are present in the diocese, come and lay hands on you. Mm-hmm. And it was in that moment, and look, and, you're kind of, and your, your head's kind of, your, your eyes are downcast, you're, in that, you're kneeling, so you can't really see faces unless you look up, even though I'm somewhat Cajun tall, you know, I'm not exactly short, but I'm still above average height. <laughs> You still can't, and it was just beautiful because it was just priest upon priest. And some I could tell who they were in the way they walked, but it was just unbroken line of priests coming lay hands. And in that moment, I knew I was where God wanted me. I've been searching for that brother. I've been searching for that place in the family of God and to know I found it in his priesthood, a gift that I do not deserve to have.
1: Such beautiful testimony. I just thank you for being here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were spun through the time, and uh, I just, uh, God bless you. You know, you'll be in our prayers, mm-hmm. and we ask for yours.
0: You know. Thank you so much. Right, uh, please be assured of my prayers.
1: You got it. You've been listening to Cajun Catholics. Today's guest was Father Casey Duga. And again, we ask you to always, uh, we challenge you to engage the Cajun Catholic in you. Until next time, God bless.